Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action Wisconsin and welcome to another beautiful, it is, I'm going to just start saying spring because the NCAA tournament starts today. So spring has definitely sprung and I am joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Uh, good to be here, and I share your love of the NCAA tournament, but I'm aware it started Tuesday, so just oh, that yes, as a Pitt fan, uh, <laughs> definitely well, started Tuesday. As Coach Pitt coach Jeff Capel was saying, look, the, the last year was the triple overtime game uh, between Notre Dame and Rutgers, so the, the first four games are, well, some of them are pretty good. They weren't very good last uh, night. Look. They, it is legitimately the start of the tournament, uh, but uh, I think everybody knows we got 16 games on Thursday, 16 games on Friday. Um, it's the closest thing to a holiday for basketball fans. But um, Robert, folks, don't come here to hear about us talk sports, even though I would love that show. Um, we do have some some sports related content I will be talking about later, but I do want to start by saying we are really happy uh, that Congressman Mark Pocan will be joining us at the last segment of the show uh, to talk about we well, to talk about his effort uh, to stop what's going on where in in the Medicare program we have the private Medicare Advantage. Uh, groupings, which Robert has talked about on the show before, uh, in the pernicious nature of them and how they uh, really, quite frankly, are, um, you know, it's it's for-profit aspect, kind of destroying uh, Medicare, uh, to put it bluntly. But Congressman Pocan is going to get into the details about that. He's yeah, Matt, it's, it's, that. it's the school vouchers of Medicare is the way exactly. to it. That's a wonderful way to put it. But uh, we'll have Congressman Pocan on later in the show. Really appreciate him taking the time to join us. But before we do that, got a lot of stuff to talk about. Probably not going to be able to get to everything. I do want to briefly talk about what, to me, is the biggest news going on uh, nationally this week, and that is the bailout of SVB and now additional banks. And to talk about the role of the Fed, we have been talking extensively about that. Dr. Michael Rosen could not join us today to talk more about this. Uh, he will next week, uh, but it was huge news. So we're going to just briefly talk about that. I also want to talk about news you may not heard of, uh, but that is uh, related to the Brewers, and that is uh, Bally's, and they're the owner of Bally's, which is the broadcaster of the Milwaukee Brewers, which is a major source of revenue for the Brewers, went bankrupt this week. Uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, there's implications for that. Want to talk about that and how that relates to the Brewers' sudden and perplexing uh, quick desire to try to get $290 million for roof repairs. Um, this story may tell us a little bit about that. And we have a lot of other things to talk about related to the ongoing China hysteria and TikTok, state, state issues with joint finance, and Glenn Grothman's back in the news. Robert, before we get into all that good stuff... I, I do want to just start the show with the national news around uh, the bank bailout. And essentially, this sort of broke fast. And I think a lot of people um, may have been caught by surprise. Uh, I can tell you Elizabeth Warren certainly wasn't. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, the big news this week was SVB. This is the California bank that 
went belly up and had essentially got bailed out almost immediately by the Biden administration, the federal government, the Fed essentially came in, bailed it out. Robert, um, this is this is challenging for us as Americans because we talk about this, all of us. Our economic literacy is not great. And this is actually centrally important because it puts our entire economy at risk and it speaks to the critical and increased importance of shall we say wall street and the whole banking industry and the whole all the stuff that we've been talking about the fed and its role uh, all of this stuff comes together this week with this bailout um i just wanted to give you an opportunity to just if you had any thoughts about it uh just some comments and again i'll i'll i will remind our listeners we'll talk more about this um with dr rosen next week but robert any thoughts well let's let's briefly rewind to the contagion the financial meltdown of 2008 and beyond which led working people to be in in in, in a very difficult economy for many years because the stimulus for working people was insufficient we bailed out the banks and not the people and what came out and by the way we african americans have still not recovered their lost um assets from all the homes that were lost by them of all the progress much of it of the 80s and 90s wiped away not made good not bailed out not the 10 million people who were foreclosed upon they were not bailed out and we did dodd frank it was imperfect let's not pretend dodd frank was a perfect system did not roll back um a lot of the stuff the damage done in the bush era and the clinton era the clinton era started it this was very bipartisan so the moderate wing of the democratic party bears a huge amount of responsibility and president obama put that team team of people who were part of that in front charge of finances that's why the recovery was so slow so fast forward dodd frank better but very imperfect it's undermined to some degree in the trump years and it was done not only by trump and a right-wing senator from um, idaho crapo four moderate senate democrats cooperated they went around progressive committee chair sherrod brown to get it done or ranking democrat member and so we we end up surprise surprise we have banks having no risk management, uh, risking everything with our money, they collapse. It is not, it's laughable to say it's systemic risk, which is the exemption, but it's certainly a risk to the economy and a risk to Biden's reelection because it, there, there's, there, it's, contagion's too strong a word because there's a, there's a ripple effect to this. Um, but what is stunning is 90% of the assets of the Silicon Valley Bank we're not insured. In other words, they're above the $250,000 limit that the Federal Deposit Insurance uh, Commission, FDIC, provides. But it was tech people. It's a Wall Street. It's a tech. It's a it's a Silicon Valley tech bank. And risky, risky stuff. Oh, and they were doing risky stuff. But these people are doing risky stuff. And these are the libertarians who prevent us all the time from having a serious government regulatory system. And then they run forward and say they have to be made whole. 
And quite frankly, I, the Biden administration caved to that because they're so worried about a bad economy being exploited to cause the fascist takeover in 2024. So we can't be in a situation where the regulations even allow this and an administration even is forced to make that kind of choice. I'm, I'm critical of the choice they made, but they are in a tough spot here, given the Republican threat here, as far as any any serious downturn in the economy that this might help lead to, because we had a Swiss bank uh, go out this week, right? Uh, Credit Suisse. We had another, there's a more, uh, there was at least a second American bank that also um, went under. And Signature, which has a lot of right-wing connections, actually. This will not be be the last. I I think there's more going on here. here's Here's the thing. And we can talk more about this with Dr. Rosen. This gets back to the Fed. I'm sorry. Yes, Congress is dysfunctional, but the Fed has an incredibly significant role. It, and Robert, you brought this up, ever since Obama, and this came out of Bush, we have had Fed leaders that have essentially had extraordinary low rates, right? We've had this just influx of easy money, That system, while yes, it has certainly created jobs, has greatly created inequality and benefited the super wealthy. And and during the pandemic, all this stuff led to just the massive run-up that you saw, the massive profits that were being had while people were suffering, right? Well, look, when the Fed decides it's going to just suddenly change those plans, right, Uh, to try to fight inflation, and you radically jack up interest rates, sorry. This is going to happen. You can expose, you enabled, and by the way, this bank, SVB, was one of the leading lobbyists for that reform, duh, that deform in 2018, right? The deregulation of the banking. They were heavily involved in supporting that. And Robert, you're right. This is bipartisan. Gavin Newsom's knee deep in that bank. There's all kinds of Democrats. Well, and, and let me do progressives one. like Ro Conniff, like, Sounding like, you know, they're, they're there to back the financial institutions. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is um, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> and the, um, we haven't even I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, Robert. And I was going to say, let's do another name check. Yeah. Senator Mark Warner from Virginia, who was one of the conspirators in this mm-hmm. claim that the midsize banks were overregulated. He doubled down and went the Sunday morning shows and said that the regulation was necessary, the changes they made in the Crapo bill and defended all this stuff. So there, we need to understand that there is an inter-party competition between two proto-parties, Democratic Party, and that's true in Wisconsin too. That's why we have we see some really bad stuff coming from the Evers administration along with some really good stuff. It's mixed, right? But we need to keep pushing back on that. It's a two. It, it, there, there's a war with the fascist party, the Republican Party, and there is a serious issue with uh, with with uh, the, ma- the mainstream Democrats being sold off to big interests that can buy them, like Wall Street. And folks, we'll talk more about this next week with Dr. Rosen, but we're going to take our first break. We're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. I want to talk very briefly before we move into talking about what's going on in Madison and um, and then also some 
catch up to date on a couple of things that are happening in Congress. We are going to talk about TikTok. <laughs> you know we are. Um, look, folks, you may not be following this very closely because why would you? If you're a Brewers fan, um, you may be aware, but the Brewers and the Bucks are broadcast by Bally's Sports. It's a major source of revenue for the Brewers. Uh, uh, they just re-upped uh, two years ago. They It's well over 20 million. It's probably closer to 40, 50 million dollars a year in revenue for the team. Well, all that money, a lot of that is now at risk. And because Bally's went bankrupt this week, uh, Sinclair, they're the owner of Bally's. And so a significant chunk of the Brewers' revenue is now a lot more risky, um, especially if Major League Baseball doesn't step in and do significant revenue sharing as they restructure how they're going to reset up providing of services. Their revenue will not be the same. I can assure you of that. It will be significantly less in the near term. It may become more in the long term when they figure it out, but it has serious implications for small market teams. Four teams already may not already having payroll implications. The, the, the Diamondbacks in particular, MLB may have to step in and provide some support for them, but it's going to have real impacts. And the reason I wanted to talk about it here. It helps explain why the Brewers suddenly out of nowhere came begging for $290 million that Governor Evers put in his budget for, quote, repairs of the roof. Just to remind people, the entire stadium uh, was almost 20 some years ago, was only three, was, was under 400 <laughs> million. So this is almost the same amount, right, that we gave for the in entire initial build of the stadium. So it's a lot of money. And I, I wanted to bring this up because this is bubbling under. This may help explain uh, why the brewers are coming asking for money. Their financial situation may be very precarious in a way that no one's really talking about. If you read the Journal Sentinel article, Robert, it's mostly uh, J.D. Radcliffe does a great job. Uh, it's mostly the MLB spin about making sure everyone feels comfortable they're going to still see their brewers, right? And there's a lot less talk about the real problem behind the scenes, the actual financing of the loss of revenue. And again, folks, this comes from cable TV. The whole structure is falling apart and everything's going to be streamed in the next couple of years. You're going to be streaming the Super Bowl at some point. Um, I know, it blows your mind. And Major League Baseball, that world has come to them right now. Uh, and so I just wanted to bring that up because this helps explain why I think you're seeing this. It also, for you baseball fans, might help explain why they're bickering over $900,000 with their Cy Young pitcher in arbitration. Every dollar may matter in a very short window, like the next couple of years. Robert. Well, yes and no. I, I like all that analysis. That was helpful. Um I want to say that if you take their assumptions for how they spend money, yes, they might be cash strapped. If you look at the value of the asset and how much it increases, they have plenty of money. So we've gotten a situation where we've created a socialized benefit for people to own a hobby, baseball teams, and also make it a cash cow where we pay for the stadium and they get a huge appreciating asset that actually leaves them much richer, and they never have to use any of it. 
But then you do have an issue with the revenue differences that Matt pointed out. And it's strikingly different. People don't realize that the NFL has revenue sharing so that they, the way the NFL is structured, there are not poor teams and rich teams. And in fact, they have the same uh, uh, structures where there's always so much they can spend, right? And in Major League Baseball, it's much more the wild, wild west where the, the wealthy survive and those who have less revenue are, are become the pirates and, and teams like that. And these are in major cities. I mean, Arizona, that's in Phoenix, the fourth largest city in the country. And look at Chicago. Yes, the Cubs own their own network, marquee. But the White Sox are always, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to get their games out. And they're in a similar situation uh, to, to, to the Brewers. And it is absurd. This There needs to be, and there, there, there's some cultural explanations. Some have theorized that because it was a whole bunch of, of Catholic folks that had originally found the NFL, that they brought that kind of more a communal view where they were going to be all be knit together as opposed to baseball that's been structured much more like 19th century capitalism. Well, look, football needed it early to survive, right? It was it was very small. It was struggling. It needed the support uh, in order to make it happen, whereas baseball was the king and it was arrogant and it was structured absolutely in a different way. Robert, to your point about the Brewers, now the late, uh, Forbes has the Brewers estimated at $1.28 billion, folks. That is a significant amount of money. So while they may only bring in uh, uh, $269 million a year, so uh, their their actual value, so Mark and company and going up every and say, oh, I need this money. My operating money is not enough. But all Mark has to do is sell the team, and he is instantly. And it's going up every year by hundreds and hundreds of millions. These are uh, assets because we've underwritten them. And by the way, when Tommy Thompson decided all of a sudden we're going to have a retractable roof, which I agree is a cool thing, was anyone told that we might have to pay for a whole other stadium in 20 years because we have a retractable (laughs) roof? Of course not. This is why these unaccountable economic development deals, and this is not the only one, need to stop because – all of the unintended consequences are always hidden and they're always sold by business as all a win-win. It's so great for Wisconsin and Milwaukee. Here's the problem, Matt, the thing to watch. Republicans say it's dead on the rival. I don't think it's because they don't like to give money to billionaires. They love to do it. I think they want to do it more aggressively. And I think watch out for the Tommy Thompson line at the time, stick it to Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. Watch them come back and connect it to Milwaukee's need for shared revenue and the sales tax and say, oh, yeah, and we're going to add another sales tax and only you are going to pay for the brewer's uh, roof. Well, if you if you think about this and again, there's analogies to this. If you think about how we do housing, (laughs) I know this is weird, but the rental, a lot of renters outside of the big companies that come in are regular, just sort of like people who speculate in some ways, they buy a property and then put a lot of money into fixing it up and then pass all those costs on to the renter and expect to also get a small profit while they're paying for all those costs. And then when they sell the house, they get all the profits, all the extra value, right? That's the current. So when the area starts to gentrify, they kick the low-income people, moderate-income people, working people out, Right. Leave them. And furthermore, it's increasingly a Milwaukee venture capitalist. It's, it's the big Wall Street firms that a lot of Democrats like Mark Warner are in hock to. 
By right. the way, our previous segments make me think that Katie Porter would make a great U.S. setter in California. Oh, absolutely. In addition to Elizabeth <laughs> Warren are the ones who have been telling the truth all along and are telling it the clearest right now. So here's here's where that, that whole thing with the renter makes sense. You have... So essentially, it's like the brewers of the house, right? They're worth one point. We think they're worth one point two eight if they billion if they sell them. However, operating revenues only is under three hundred million a year. So they can run around and talk about, oh, we're only worth about three hundred million a year in revenue, and we have this shortfall. While understanding, like ultimately, that's like the person who buys the home and then makes the renter pay all the costs, all the upkeep, everything, yeah. and still grab a profit, knowing that there's a massive profit at the end when they sell. And probably gets a government subsidy in in a very poor area to do it as well, right? Correct. Milwaukee is the small market, right? So we're the the area where we- But here's the thing. We don't even tax the asset increase. We have backstopped this. So unlike houses, people used to be able to take out you know, uh, 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 home loans on the asset increasing in value. The problem with that is housing doesn't always increase in value, especially if we took up the great recession. Uh, but baseball teams always do. If they they could take that, take a big portion uh, of the of all of the increase in the pre in, in in the asset value every year and put it into the stadium into salaries. They choose not to because they want to get richer, and that's what rich people are like because that's why they're rich. Well, this was a great discussion. These last two, the first one about what's going on with housing, the banking industry, right? Because folks, this is the casino economy, right? When money's easy and it's cheap and 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 it leads to massive amounts of inequity and, it, and we get sucked into it, right? Like, I bet you somebody listening to our show might own rental properties who might be in that same situation. And you know what? Who's going to go tell that person, oh, yeah, you're wrong for wanting to get, you know, 100 bucks a month out of extra profit, you know, because that's the system we have and that's what's encouraged. So anyways, you see it here. Um, and folks, the thing with MLB, and I'm going to close with this before we go to a break. This is this is a really important structure time because they are going to have to do more revenue sharing if they want to keep as many teams as they have. Otherwise, you know, the incentives are for the Bostons, the Yankees, certain teams to take a look over to the Premier League and be like, no, we want that. We don't need we don't need all these teams. We really don't. We need we need 12. Right. To, we'll have the Yankees. To, we'll have a we'll have a league at the top that is completely free market like the Premier League. And we'll have relegation or we'll have teams go away and we're going to gobble up all the money or they will decide we need all the teams and we need to come up with a, a sane structure to keep the Kansas cities, the Milwaukee's. And by the way, San Diego, they're one of the four teams that's in deep trouble. And those dudes were spending money. Like Quite frankly, the Minnesota, sailors. the Minnesota twins. So in fact, I think I can name premier league teams in addition to the Red Sox and Yankees, the Cubs, Cardinals actually spend like a big market team. So the they might be the only other uh, Midwestern Premier League team other than the Cubs and uh, and so on. The Giants, I mean, the Mets. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being the run out of Premier League teams probably here. That's okay. I got to wrap this segment up other than to say, remember people, we didn't talk about it here, but the Bucks also go from Bally's. 
they're less tied up into the revenue, I believe, but there are implications. We'll disentangle that down the road. I'll just say, I don't know, may help explain one of the uh, Lazarus deciding now's the time to pull the bucks while the getting's good. Uh, folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, uh, some news this week that we just have to talk about is the bipartisan love affair with trying to start a cold war with China. Uh, the latest this week is TikTok is back in the news. Robert, you would think TikTok was literally like the worst thing in the world by the way they talk about it, but there's a lot of fear around the data that's being, uh, I'll just say whooped up in, in political circles that essentially your data is completely insecure with TikTok. It'll go straight to the Chinese government, super giant risk. TikTok needs to be either shut down or sold to an American company. Um, Robert, some quick, could you provide some quick perspective on this? And not only as it relates to the specifics of TikTok, but like in comparison to social networks, Robert? Well, and this all, you're right to put this way, Matt, this is all within the context of the China hysteria, which is like the Cold War hysteria of the late 40s. And it has the same dynamic where you had a Democratic president, Harry Truman, and you had Republicans doing craven things to, to, to rev up the threat and to blame the Truman administration for being soft, and then taking a lot of actions in order to look tough on uh, that, you know, strong, right? And, to, and so you have the same thing going on here. You have some of the worst insurrectionist members of Congress introducing draconian TikTok bills. You have uh, the, the various, uh, you know, demagoguery from uh, Mike Gallagher with the committee that he's been given, which he's using to, you know, like Richard Nixon, who used the House American Affairs Committee to launch his Senate career, to launch his Senate bid against Tammy Baldwin. And then the Biden administration trying to stay ahead of the hysteria, buying into it and and risking not only nuclear war, because this is a major growing nuclear power, but also when we if we go into this kind of Cold War, we're not going to have progressive reforms. We're not going to meet the climate crisis. We're not going to ch challenge and have a real racial equity reckoning and deal with the structural economic issues at the heart of it. Um, if this happens and so you can't really trust the hysteria about TikTok. And what's scary is even mainstream media, even your NPRs, do not question this, the, 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 the federal assessment in this condition that this is a unique danger. Governor Evers doesn't either. He has much else information and he banned it off of, of state computers like a lot of red governors have. And here's what, you have to go to the Guardian to find anything. And the Guardian quotes experts saying, look, this doesn't do much because the other apps, unregulated monopolies, collect more information than TikTok. And there are ways that the Chinese government could get at that data. And if we're going to leave Facebook and Twitter and all of them and Instagram alone, then all the, then we're not really going to do anything with TikTok. Now, the nuance is TikTok is claiming to create a subsidiary in the U.S. that controls all the data that will be run out of Texas. And that, that's been dismissed as not enough. Are we really going to say that China is such an enemy that we can't have any Chinese firms that are in, in, in charge with any data? When we've had data breaches, Matt, of 
the, the, uh, the credit agencies of major hotel chains to the point where I had all of my information stolen and on the dark web, and I'm going to have to have my 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 credit uh, uh, frozen, I'm told by the cyber experts for the rest of my life. Our data's all over the place. It's a wild, wild west. We do nothing, but now TikTok is the big threat. This is, to me, I'll just say it. It's somewhat encouraging around the Cold War. Because as long as we're talking about TikTok, it tells me they're not, they're, they're not serious. <laughs> and they're looking for something like TikTok to temporarily ease the, quote, Cold War pain that they're whooping up, right? Um, because this is ridiculous. I mean, I it I I I hope people are making TikToks about how dumb this is. <laughs> Not on TikTok. I do see them through Instagram often, but like, come on, this is so absurd. Robert, the if if they really were serious about this, they would do an investigation of Facebook and how it's destabilized governments, how it's led to mass murder and killing and genocides in Indonesia, a whole lot of other places, how it uh helped le led to the potential efforts to steal an election here. Like, come on, this is absurd. It's just ridiculous. And it is sad that they're able to get away with it because of this, what I think is, you know, the racist uh, Cold War that we're trying to gin up. And it's disturbing. We're going to keep talking, talking out against it. Robert, I want to transfer us from TikTok unless you have anything else. We'll continue to keep tracking this. We will have uh, Toby, Toby DeChow on again uh, down the road to talk more about this as it, uh, it goes on. Uh, but Robert, I do want to hit one other thing at the congressional level this week that uh, we saw, which is this increasing effort now that the pandemic is supposedly wising, winding down. We've talked about it as it relates to it officially ending in May and the implications it'll have for like Medicaid and a whole lot of other support services. In addition to that, where we now see conservative, right-wing, reactionary type Republicans, Glenn Grothman included, the newly elected Van Orden, now pushing for work requirements for people to eat. It's just, Robert, come on. And, and again, we've talked about this. When you put requirements like this in, it all it does is make the program super expensive to administer because you got to like basically police it. It leaves people out. Almost all these folks who get this currently are working. They're full-time working people. Mm -hmm. And you just set up hurdles that, as we found out during the pandemic, are set up to exclude people and make it hard for regular people. And of course, Robert, there isn't a parallel bill about this as it relates to the banking industry, um, in the state, we often talk about Weed Act and the money we give away, right? No, we just bailed out a bank. <laughs> yes. We're going to make working people who are on the margins dance for their food. a whole bunch of rich companies that were not federally insured because they had much more than $250,000 in this bank. And we were running around the state in the late Walker administration talking about his economic development agency, Weed Act, was giving a job creation subsidies, which where they barely measured it, in other words, there's no accountability, that were outsourcing other jobs much in excess of the jobs they weren't, cre they weren't creating, if, even if they'd created them. So that is 
And that's still going on. Governor Evers was the only candidate for governor in 2018 who didn't want to get rid of WEDAC, the Wisconsin Active Development Corporation, the privatized business-run active agency. So that it, it, it the WEDAC is still there. But Grothman, I'll give you, I'll say some one thing good about Glenn, since he was in the legislature and I I've met him many times. He is fairly personable and will talk to people who disagrees with agree with him quite readily. That that's where the praise stops. Okay. <laughs> then he is old school that, that way. He is that <laughs> uncle at Thanksgiving who's quite endlessly talking about the poor people being on the dole and being on a hammock, et cetera, and won't get off it. That's who Glenn Grothman is. And he's been elevated to Congress. So he's out there saying with this bill that there are jobs everywhere and these people won't apply because they don't have to. Like they're like people who are on food assistance are living some cushy life. Uh, it is. It, and, you know, Robert, it's a misrepresentation. So, Orden, this is who he is. And his first reelect is next time. We need a strong candidate in Western Wisconsin. He's showing his true colors. Kudos to Gwen Moore, who has been calling this out. Congresswoman Gwen Moore. And she says, there is no data that work requirements increase work in any way because there are other barriers to work that they won't remove. And we yeah. talk about that a lot. They don't care about the work. They care about stigmatizing poor people, which is actually an older version of the current culture war. Look over there. It's those irresponsible people. And it's racialized because much of their base Gets a, has a racial image of who's on food assistance, even though in a state like Wisconsin, the majority of them would be white. Um, and so this is just gross and it's a cycle. If they really cared about get people being employed and being able to support themselves and having decent jobs where you can support yourself, that'd be one thing. This is just a sleazy scapegoating which takes takes us away from the real culprits and in, in what's wrong with this economy, the people who yeah, fund we their campaign. About the real culprits, Robert. That's why this was a great show because there's zero accountability for the wealthy folks, the speculators uh, at that bank, and all the people who risked it, right? But yet, people who are working. Because let's remind you folks, almost all the folks who get that SNAP assistance are working full-time, hard, struggling to get by. They're stigmatized. And that's all this was, was an effort to make it sound like all of them are shifty, not working people that need to be pushed into the workforce. No, almost all these people work. And it's really just another bureaucratic hoop that will ultimately cause some people to fail to do and lose food. We're talking about food. So, like, you don't get your food. Yeah, you said but the if critical you're a bank, thing. You get all your money back, all your money back, not just it, your food. When they make, make says it sounds reasonable, it's awful. the hoops cut a lot of people off. It is god awful complicated to apply for any program deliberately by design. Unemployment insurance, Badger Care, everything else. And people like Glenn Grossman and other people who claim to be on our side have been good about all these hoops, the research shows all they do is get needy people and give them no health care, no food assistance, etc. And their kids. People, okay. Just remember when what, what Robert's talking about. Remember during the pandemic and how hard it was for people to access their benefits. That's the system that was created. It's complicated. It is meant for people to make mistakes and be excluded and hopefully go away. 
and not cost as much money. Folks, we got to wrap this up. Um, we got to take a break here. On the back side of this, we're going to be joined by Congressman Mark Pocan to talk about the absolute, uh, speaking of another, casino, the boondoggle that is Medicare Advantage. Again, you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and we're uh, very fortunate to have landed Congressman Mark Pocan, who represents uh, the Madison and the greater, greater, much greater Madison area, a large geographic area in South Central Wisconsin. Uh, Congressman, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So the reason we wanted to talk to you is you know, there's been a lot around met, a problem of scandals around Medicare Advantage. And I know you're very well aware of them, both around bilking the government, uh, claims denials, and their marketing practices to dragoon seniors into it. And it does remind me a lot of the school voucher system that was planted kind of as a cancer in the middle of our proud public education tradition. Uh, and which undermines it. And similar things are happening with Medicare Advantage, which is now has more enrollees than traditional Medicare. Uh, and you and, uh, and Rokana, uh, Congressperson from California, uh, you were the lead, uh, co-sponsored an interesting bill that uh, would prevent them from using Medicare as a brand. It's deceptive to even market as Medicare. So can you talk a little bit about why you did that and what problems in Medicare Advantage uh, drove you and uh, and Rokana to, to draft the bill? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, first of all, only Medicare is Medicare. And, you know, for many, many seniors, um, they don't even know the difference, the plan they're on, of what Medicare Advantage is and Medicare. They assume it's still the government program, not uh, a private insurance program. And uh, while they have every right to have private insurance programs. Uh, the problem that, that many of us see is <clears throat> calling them Medicare makes it extra confusing. There, there's many problems, period, with the Medicare Advantage program. As you mentioned, the overbilling that we've seen, the New York Times has done a really great job on talking about that. Um, there, there are a lot of people who don't benefit from these programs. You know, what happens is they generally will offer something additional to what Medicare offers in order to entice someone to sign on to a Medicare Advantage program, uh, something like maybe they'll give you vision or something else that's not included with Medicare. Or, or a gym membership, sounds, right? Yeah, and it sounds like it's something better. The problem is now you're in a private insurance world, not Medicare, which means you can't just go to any doctor. You have to go to a network doctor. If you travel, you may not be in a network and you're going to pay out of pocket. Uh, the plans can change on you in the middle of the plan as far as the providers, et cetera. And you may not get that actual care that you get uh, with Medicare, which is actually one of the most popular programs the federal government does. So, you know, what we're trying to do is basically say, look, um, about half the people now, a little over half are on these programs, not Medicare. And, you know, when they fail, it looks like Medicare is bad. And, and that's not the problem. That's the program that's having the problems. We don't think uh, they should be able to call themselves Medicare because we don't allow a private delivery service to call themselves the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, why would we allow a private insurance program to use the term uh, Medicare? 
Now, there's many other problems with Medicare Advantage. We could spend probably hours talking about them, but this would at least address one component that people would understand and maybe look a bit more critically at the programs because they are not Medicare and people need to know that. And so you're getting at uh, the very deceptive marketing practices and advertising practices because they are these insurance companies, which are Wall Street traded companies, jamming the airwaves with ads on these, many from, you know, aging pitch people who are former, you know, actors that that used to be, you know, in movies or on television or, or ex-athletes, right? And so they keep saying how much better it is and branding is Medicare by calling it Medicare Advantage. In fact, some of them are now calling themselves Medicare Part C, which makes it sound even more official. And right. then they are using other practices like paying medical providers like clinics to for referrals. And so seniors like my mom, who would never go to Medicare Advantage, get constant pitches in many places to go to Medicare Advantage. And so that and that's how they've gotten this huge market. And people don't realize that not only they're not getting the protection of Medicare, there's a there's a lot of there, and you talked about the networks and the changing of networks and providers. But there's serial claim denial. The in inspector general has found massive claims denials as a business model, and most seniors don't challenge the claims, even though they're illegitimate. And these programs are wildly profitable. Um, on average, they're twice as profitable as normal health insurance offered by insurance companies. So there's a, a big financial advantage for them to keep not only uh, being able to call themselves Medicare uh, falsely, um, but also, uh, I think there's a bill that's going to be going through Congress this session yep. to even give them more latitudes uh, because uh, over half the business isn't enough for these industries. And, you know, my mom, when she she passed away last year, but when she was in her upper 80s, you know, she had a Medicare Advantage program. A nice person came by and told her she could get, I think it was, it was vision uh, out of it. So she signed up for the program. But, you know, when she was in assisted living, um, she needed some care that there was a doctor who actually came to her facility if you were on Medicare, but because she was on Medicare Advantage, she couldn't see that doctor. She would have had to go across uh, Kenosha where she was living to go there, but she was largely uh, immobile. It was very hard for her to get around with a walker and everything else. So, so at the end of the day, she couldn't actually get the care she needed through a Medicare Advantage program that a doctor actually who came to the facility offered. And that's just one of many, many, many stories that we hear that people kind of get roped into once they sign up for these programs. And so you know, we've done letters with other members of Congress to try to fix some of the billing situations, the, the turning down of care, a lot of other things that also occur. But uh, you know, this is just one component to at least help people be better consumers to understand that the program they have isn't really Medicare anymore once they sign up for Medicare Advantage. And there's no big advertising room for Medicare. So this is the problem with handing over part of the program this way to these profit-seeking actors with huge amounts of resources, right? And exactly. the claims deny, I mean, the bait and switch happened with your mom, right? She didn't know she was doing that when she signed up. It all sounded just better, right? And then yeah. the claims denial is... I mean, that's one of the reasons that people, if we had a statewide survey with a national partner, 52% of Wisconsinites have avoided need and medical care because they were afraid they couldn't afford it. 
And a lot of those people, it's because of the claims denial business model, where they know they're going to have to haggle, and a lot of them don't even haggle, right? Because they don't have the time. Right. And seniors are signing up for that, and they don't know it. Uh, now, yeah, so I think I think going after the marketing practices is really sharp, Congressman. That's a, a really good idea. And you mentioned the current debate. There's something called the Better Medicare Alliance, which is industry-supported, uh, insurance industry, and it's running this big campaign to uh, prevent any cuts in their subsidies, which are over generous, right? We're paying them, they have huge profits, and, and they have an extra subsidy on top of Medicare. And this is something where some Democrats are wrong on this, but they're even going after Biden and other Democrats claiming that you have a conspiracy, their ads to cut Medicare, Medicare Advantage, and that Medicare Advantage, the ad goes, is Medicare. Exactly. So, so one, they're continuing to perpetuate the, the misinformation that I think most, you know, average person is, is getting on this. But, you know, the, the way they submit claims, like they'll purpose, they actually incentivize doctors to find more things wrong with you, because right. that's how they paid. So the more the more sick you are, the more these programs uh, can be. So they'll find plenty of things about you that are sick, but then they may not actually treat them um, because that's not in their uh, advantage to make profit because that would actually provide you know, a costly service. And just everything about how they're set up seems to be um, counterintuitive to actually providing health care. Um, yet again, when you're twice as, uh, as profitable as normal health insurance, uh, they are going to do everything they can to try to continue that policy. But to say that's cutting Medicare in any way is is one of the biggest uh, falsifications that's out there. And they're, they're paying doctors to discover conditions, uh, things they might find in their blood work that uh, there's no symptom concerning, no, no, no issue with yet. And, and so they can charge more for them. The system pays them more for sicker patients. So they try to get the younger patients, that's what gym memberships do, the young, healthy seniors. Then they try to upcode them in their diagnosis so they get more money, which is shocking. Let me ask you one uh, other question, uh, Mark, because I know you're a supporter of Medicare for All, and I know you work at, in the in the congressional Progressive Congressional Caucus with uh, Rokana. Um he has this bill to enable states to do their own universal health care plans. Are, 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 are you part of that bill? Yeah, I don't even know offhand because this Congress, none of those bills are going to move. Um, but, you know, what we've been trying to do, I think, on the big picture at the 30,000 foot level is one, try to move more towards Medicare for all Two, try to expand Medicare as it's currently offered. So it includes things like dental, vision and hearing, yeah. uh, as well as lower the age of access. Um, you know, I, I think those are going to be far more comprehensive for us to have aspirationally uh, than, you know, perhaps just having states set up plans, because quite honestly, a lot of states already set up some of their own kind of health network plans and, and can do that. Um, one of the things I'm more worried about is we're watching even some entities, even like uh, union pensions. Uh, we I think it was the city of New York was looking at going to a Medicare Advantage because they could save a little bit. But then, you know, really give less care to a lot of their retirees. Those are some things I think that we should be really paying attention to right now as we're moving towards these larger, larger aspirational ideas. I think that's all great what you just laid out. I, I will just the one pitch I would make, and I'm still looking into Rokana's bill, so but I, I'm intrigued. 
Uh, when I was on the platform committee, Democratic platform committee for Bernie Sanders, actually someone you know well, Mir Butari and I were the two Sanders representatives in 2016, a platform committee. Um, I had a, uh, a, res a, you know, an amendment that was a Bernie, one of Bernie Sanders's top, top, th you know, 30 priority amendments, which was a have the federal government allow a state to take all the federal funding streams into the state for healthcare, so healthcare. if they want to do their own Medicare for all plan, they could. And we actually got Hillary campaign to endorse that. So it is interesting in that uh, it's supported by single payer folks, and you can get broader support for it. Yeah, I mean, anything that gets us closer, I just, um, honestly, there's been zero momentum. Uh, I, I didn't right. even know there was a bill introduced. So that alone no, tells you of the priorities that are out there. It's not exactly uh, uh, setting off bells and whistles. Therefore, we probably should focus on things that the average person can call their member of Congress and help advocate for. No, I know what you mean. I mean, people like us can pick out a bill, but it's a needle in a haystack exactly. based on what's really on your plates. So I appreciate yeah. that insight and all the insights. I know you have to run into uh, it, into 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 in the people's business right now. So thanks for taking a little time uh, and and fitting us in, Congressman. Of course, very glad to. Thanks so much for covering the issue. Yeah, ha have a great day, Mark. Yep. Take care. Thank you. Hey, folks. We want to thank you for listening to this amazing podcast. First of all, I want to thank. Congressman Mark Pocan for just joining us. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Congressman. But also want to thank Brian Woodridge, our producer, who makes this podcast happen every week. Folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.